This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. You recognize that in five sessions, I'm just doing the highlights of last day events or coming events. Um, Some of you have asked about this workbook that I've been quoting from. A number of years ago, I wrote a workbook with instructors' lectures for local churches on last day events. It was designed as a prayer meeting series. Seminars Unlimited carries it. So most of you are familiar. You can Google Seminars Unlimited. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, You can Google Seminars Unlimited. You can get their phone numbers, etc. But uh, if you're interested in holding a a coming event seminar for your local church, they've got all the material, um, lectures, and the workbook makes it really simple because there's charts and diagrams and stuff to fill in. I wanted to mention that to you. Somebody talked to me in the break about a book that I've written on the Holy Spirit called Revive Us Again. Is that person here? Do you have the book you could hold up, Revive Us Again on the Holy Spirit? There was somebody here that had a copy of it. She may have left now, but it's called Revive Us Again. You can get it in the ABC. It's a book on the Holy Spirit and the latter rain. That is also can be a blessing for your prayer meetings. Somebody else asked me in the break about, I mentioned our Living Hope School of Evangelism, and some of you have asked me to explain a little more about that. I will do that. We have many wonderful six-month programs that are being conducted throughout the United States. Amazing Facts School of Evangelism is amazing. Uh, Arise really helps you to arise. Um, Souls West really helps you to win souls. I recommend all of those programs. Michigan has an excellent program. We do not have anything like that to train Bible instructors. What we do is very simple. I have a five to seven day training program for pastors and lay people. So pastors from all over America, all over the world come, and we spend about five days with these pastors, immersing them in principles of evangelism, principles of church growth, the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, etc. They see our little church. We had a church of 25 to 30 people, and now every Sabbath, well, now we have 120 members, and every Sabbath when I preach there, there's 200, 250 people. If I'm not there, there's probably 160. So here's a church of, that's gone from 30, 35 people to 120 with an attendance of 160. We have all kind of professional people coming, Uh, It's quite an amazing story of what God has done. In our facility, we have a church. uh, We have a media center. In our media center, we we are broadcasting now, streaming to 190 different countries in the world in a local church media center. We um, have a, a large presence. We are starting a national radio program across America, doing a lot in television. We have a health center where people are coming in. We have a program called Health to the Max that they participate in, Net natural lifestyle cooking. Um, we do stress management courses, all kind of health courses, Bible courses, archaeology, etc., for the public. And so in the last, we are in a very upmarket community. It's a gated community. It had no Seventh-day Adventist church three years ago. And... Uh, it is a community that has two golf courses, five clubhouses, very, very well-to-do community. And in the last two years, we've had about 300 non-Adventists walk through our doors of our different programs. And so we're working God, we're seeing God work some incredible miracles of his grace. What do we do for lay people or students? There are times of the year where different organizations want to do a spiritual retreat. So GYC brought its leadership team to us, and they did a spiritual retreat for five days with us. There are local churches that bring pastors and lay people come, and they'll come like on a Friday night to a Sabbath or a Sunday, and we spend time with them. But we have many times where 
I will teach courses on lay evangelism, teach courses with my wife on health evangelism, teach courses on lay preaching and how lay people can be effective preachers. Um, we teach courses on a variety of kinds of witness. Usually lay people come for five to seven days. They usually will come like on a Sunday and stay to the following Sabbath. We have class about six hours a day, and then in the evening they go out to programs with us. Um, I have been in Adventist ministry now for 50 years, and so we don't charge for our, our tuition at all. There, it's people come, they have to take, be responsible for their own housing, and uh, usually they get breakfast in the hotel. We charge $8 at our school for a meal, and they, um, they, they participate. So the only charge we charge is $8 for the meal. We don't charge any tuition charge at all. And uh, somebody says, how do you exist? Well, God just supplies our needs. He just supplies our needs. And, uh, but if you have any interest in we are completely filled the first six months, I don't like to take more than, we can take up to 20. I mean, I could take 40 people if we wanted in the classrooms, but I like to take about 15 to 20 because we spend time personally together in the evening. We talk to people about their own spiritual life. We talk to them about witness. We help pastors particularly. Um, we have some time left in our July classes, in our September and October. We have about six sessions a year. I'm there about 35 to 40% of my time. The rest of the time I'm traveling the world. And uh, we are um, holding evangelistic meetings in different parts of the world. I'm going to give you a couple things that you can check out if you have any interest in our classes or if you know your churches will. You can call the General Conference my administrative assistant. Her name is Joy Brando. That's Joy, and it's B-R-O-N-D-O, and I'll give you her direct line. If you have any interest, or your pastor or church does in our classes, uh, her number is 301-680-6619. That's 301-680-6619. Also, we are just redoing our website but um, our website is called Hope Lives 365. Within the next two or three weeks, it will be completely done. But um, Hope Lives 365, we always publish our schedule there as well. But the best, most reliable way is to call Joy. And uh, if you have, a lot of times youth groups will come to our church and we'll spend five days with them studying the Bible and they go away with really great spiritual renewal in their own lives. Um, we are now going back and uh, we're going to um, go back to taking a look at um, the latter rain, loud cry, and the whole issue of the shaking. So let's pray. And uh, we've got a lot to cover in this class. You ready to go? Yes. GYC, you ready to go? Yes. I mean, I'm 73 years old and I have more enthusiasm than you got. No. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus and thank you for his love. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. As we study about how to be filled with your Spirit, move upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we studied in our last session the latter rain and the loud cry. We have shown, both from the Bible and the writings of Ellen White, that God is preparing to pour out his Spirit in an abundant measure. We've shown also that the devil wants to hinder this work, so he wants to introduce a counterfeit revival. We pointed out the difference between the genuine and the counterfeit. In the genuine revival, men and women are seeking his spirit to be filled with his spirit. And we looked at the baptism of the spirit and the baptism of fire. We've shown that fire in the Old Testament and the New rep is a symbol of the abiding presence of Christ in the life. It's a symbol of the infilling of the presence of God. Baptism is immersion. Baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, is immersion in the presence of God where the glory of God fills your life and changes your life. In the genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit, men and women are on their knees seeking God and they make their major object to know Christ and to know the will of God. In the counterfeit manifestation, men and women are looking for any, an experience with God rather than knowing God from the standpoint of doing his will. 
So anytime an emotional external experience substitutes for heart repentance and a desire to reflect the image of Jesus, we know we're in danger. Anytime signs and wonders and miracles substitute for the desire to reflect the image of Jesus and live an obedient life, we know that that's thin ice. We know that we're on slippery ground. One characteristic of false revivals is there's a great emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit rather than the fruits of the Spirit. God invites us to seek the fruits, and he gives us the gifts. The gifts are God's to give, the fruits are ours to seek. So we ask the question, what is holding back the coming revival? What is holding back the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What is heaven waiting for? Why doesn't God just pour out his spirit on the church today? If God poured out his spirit on lives in which there was known and cherished sin, that would simply contribute to pride and arrogance. And so what is heaven waiting for? Notice First Selected Messages, page 121. A revival of true godliness. Notice the word true. Among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. So the first work is to seek genuine, authentic revival. Somebody says, that's the problem with my church. They need genuine revival. No, the problem is with my heart and yours, that I need genuine revival. Uh, the problem is not with the church. Who is the church? The church is you and me. So revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all of my needs. To seek this should be my first work. You know, in Scotland, it is claimed that there is 40 million pounds. The pound, of course, is the British-Scottish currency. It's probably worth $60 million of unclaimed deposits. In other words, people have died and they've left money to their relatives, but the relatives have never claimed them. I wonder if there's any of my old Finleys over there in Scotland, you know, I'll go over there. $60 million of unclaimed deposits. It kind of reminds me that the Holy Spirit is an unclaimed deposit by many. God has promised his spirit. Do we fail to claim the unlimited resources that the Holy Spirit holds for us? There is no way that as human beings, we can see God's work finished unless the Holy Spirit is poured out in dramatic power. The seeds that have been sown, the Bible studies given, the literature given out, the TV programs produced, radio programs, all of these seeds will come to harvest in the latter rain. Now, what are the prerequisites for receiving the latter rain? In our last session, we pointed out the difference between the early and the latter rain. We pointed out that the early rain came at Pentecost historically, and the latter rain will come at end time. We pointed out that the early rain nurtures in the life of the believer the desire for Christ. God fills our hearts with his spirits. But to meet the challenge of earth's final hour, God promises to pour out an abundance of his spirit. So the latter rain does not mean that there was no spirit manifest in the church before. And it's not that we simply say, hey, I'm going to pray and wait for this latter rain to come, then God's going to finish his work. Not at all. We're in prayer. We're in Bible study. We're involved in witness. And the latter rain is like a crescendo. Daily we are filled by the Holy Spirit. Remember Ellen White says, daily should his should believers plead for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So daily we plead for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the latter rain comes at the final crisis of earth's history to empower the church, to give the final witness to the ends of the earth so every human being on every planet, on every continent of earth will hear the final message of God. Now what is the first prerequisite to receive God's Holy Spirit? The first prerequisite may be simple, it's to ask God. Zechariah 10 verse 1, let's read it together. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. 
So ask the Lord for rain. Are we living in the time when God wants to pour out his spirit in the latter rain? Are we living at that time? Are you asking God day by day for the outpouring of his spirit in your life? Review and Herald, August 25, 1896. Can we read it together? We should pray as earnestly for the descent of the Holy Spirit as the disciples prayed on the day of Pentecost. Are you praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you praying that God will move through you and that he will fill you with the Spirit? Are you seeking God daily for the baptism of the Spirit, the infilling of more and more of the Holy Spirit? Are you praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have a prayer group that you're meeting with to seek God for the power of the latter rain? You know, there are churches in North America that if you would go to that church at 8.30 on Sabbath morning, you would be find groups of people praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They would be praying for the manifestation of God to come down on that church. When, we, when our church was just a little church over in Warrington, Virginia, and that church had been there for probably 30 years, maybe 35 people came, and there was a group of consecrated godly Adventist laypeople that would come to that church about 8.30, quarter of nine on Sabbath morning, and they would kneel down and begin to pray that the outpouring of the Spirit would take place that God would miraculously lead people to that church. One Sabbath I was preaching, and I noticed a lady came in who I had never seen before. Now, when you only have 35 people, you notice new people pretty quickly. And so I thought, I'm going to go talk to this lady after the service. So I went up to her, and you know, in all my ministry, 50 years, I never had anybody say this to me before. I said, what, how did you happen to come to church this morning? And this is her, an exact quote. She said, I woke up and God kicked me in the pants and made me come. I said, I never had God kick him in the pants before <laughs> to make him come. And I said, there must be a story behind that. And she said, I'm a pilot. I'm an airline pilot. I fly for one of the largest airlines in America. I fly from Washington Dulles Airport to uh, Los Angeles. And she said, Pastor Finley, I had no idea that you were in this church. I am a former Seventh-day Adventist, but I've been spiritually nourished recently by listening to your sermons on the internet. When I got up this morning, I felt a strong conviction, a strong conviction that I had to be here in church this morning. In the last six months in our new facility, there have been at least four families of professional people that felt impressed to come to our church. I was preaching about two Sabbaths ago in our church. 120 members, there were 230 people there. And as I was greeting at the door, a man and woman came out. I introduced myself to them and I said to him, uh, how did you learn about a church? They told me that they had heard on internet and they felt so impressed they drove an hour and a half to be there. And I said, My, what you might do? What, what's your work? He handed me his card, United States government. He's in the State Department of the United States government. God led him that Sabbath by the Holy Spirit. We are praying that God will lead people to our congregation. You would not believe psychiatrists in town saw us on the internet, felt impressed by the Spirit. God is leading people by the Holy Spirit today for a praying church. God is working some miracles even among the Muslim community in the Middle East. In one country that I was in recently, I was talking to a Muslim man who was there in church with about 15 or 20 other Muslims in this country. And I said to him, ha, how did you learn about the Adventist church? He said, my story is an amazing one. He said, I'm a refugee from Syria in this country. And he said, as a refugee, I had no work. I got sick. I couldn't feed my children. And one day I went out on the balcony in this little apartment they were living in. I shook my fist at God and I said, God, God, where are you? You're not here. 
And he said, I heard an audible voice from heaven that said, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. Trust me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be with you. He said, the next day, somebody was coming to the airport. Other refugees, I wanted to go pick them up. I had no way to get there. I had no money. My family hadn't eaten. As I walked out, a cab drove by me and stopped. And the cab driver looked over and he said, hey, I know you. I used to know you in Syria. How can I help you? And he said, I need a ride to the airport. He said, no problem. I'll take you. He said, I was going to get in the car. A man walked by and the man said to me, hey, you asked me to borrow $100 last week. I felt impressed this morning. I ought to give it to you. Here's the $100. He said, I knew there was a God then and I began seeking and I discovered the Seventh-day Adventist. And now he has about 20, 30 Muslims coming and they were with us just a few weeks ago in that country. But the church there is praying. My wife and I visited the largest Seventh-day Adventist church in the world. It's in Shenyang, China. Shenyang, China. It had 6,000 members. Now it has 8,000 members. The story of that church is incredibly amazing. It was started as a house church congregation, and uh, it has grown. We talked to the pastor of the church, and the pastor said this. We said, what is the secret of your growth? The pastor said, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every morning, we meet together at 4.30 to pray. There are 100 church members, 60 to 100 every morning that pray. We said, why 4.30 in the morning? Oh, the pastor said, because I have lawyers and doctors and I have attorneys and I have professional university students. So we pray from about 4.30 to 6.30. Then 60, 100 of us go on, out on the streets every morning. And we witness before work. Oh, but pastor, we don't do that seven days a week. We just do it six. Because on Sabbath, we come at six o'clock in the morning and there we pray and we stay all day. If in the United States of America, what if our, we had people coming to the church on a Wednesday night? What if there were 30, 40, 50 that were praying in small groups for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What if you led, you left this GYC convention committed personally to start prayer groups in your church? What if there were groups coming at 8.30, quarter and nine on Sabbath mornings, praying that God would lead people? You know, Ellen White says, Acts of the Apostles, many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. I wonder how many people in your community are listening to Voice of Prophecy. I wonder how many in your community are watching It Is Written. I wonder how many are watching 3ABN or the Hope Channel. I wonder how God is just waiting to do something amazing in your community. Once the church is prepared to receive them, God will bring them. So do you have a prayer group that you're meeting with to seek God for the latter reign? You know, I was teaching for uh, the value of small groups. And I had every excuse in the world not to start a small group in my home. I mean, I said, look, I'm traveling all over the world. I'm preaching in place. I'm only home 40% of my time. I can't start a small group in my home. And the Lord kept impressing me. Start a small group in your home. Start a small group in your home. So my wife and I were doing Bible programs and health programs. And so I said to many of the, the non-Adventists that were there, look, I'm going to start a study verse by verse of the book of Revelation. It may take me a year. It may take me two years. If you want to come to the house, come on a Monday night. 30 people show up, 18 of them not Seventh-day Adventists. Then we built a 29 Adventists. So for the last four to five months, we have small group in our home. I try not to travel on Monday nights. I try to get back. But often, if we can't do it, I just print a schedule. We do it every other week or every third week. And we have scores of people from our gated community that come to our home and it got so big that we had 40 people at our house and my neighbors got concerned because we were blocking the streets and there were cars all over. So they said, and I want to be a good neighbor. So I met with them and they said, Pastor, you know, it's blocking the streets. Could you just move your group? So we moved our small group now to our church. And so on Monday nights, we have our group. But do you have a prayer group you're meeting with to seek God? In our small group, we pray. I ask our group, is there, are there people in our group that you have a need? And people open up in that group. And then we talk to them about the fact that um, what praises do you have? We pray that God's spirit will come down. We study the word of God together. Do you have two or three prayer partners that you've covenanted with to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the life of your church? 
One of the most successful evangelistic meetings that I had was down in San Antonio, Texas. We had 1,100 non-Adventists come to that meeting. But the pastor of the Scenic Hill Seventh Adventist Church, Pastor Rodney Mills. You know Pastor Rodney? Yes, my dear friend. And you know, um, we had a great time in San Antonio. But you know, Pastor Rodney, every Thursday, every Thursday morning at 5.30, met with his elders and they prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that church. Many of the church members were not even aware of it. But every Thursday morning, 5.30 in the morning, he would pray. Do you have two or three prayer partners that you've committed to pray with for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life and the life of the church? One of the most amazing revivals that ever took place in the latter part of this revival, Satan took it over. But at the beginning of this revival, the Welsh revival, there was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts was 16 years old. In Wales, during that time, the churches were largely empty. You might get a church that would seat three, 400 people, and you'd get five old people that would be meeting in that church to pray. Evan Roberts was 16, and he looked at the country of Wales, and he found, it spiritually po- he found spiritual poverty there. And this 16-year-old young man said, I'm going to pray for the country. And he began praying. He worked in the mines with his father, and he he said, coal mining is not my destiny, but he worked in the mines in Wales. He prayed for six years, saw no visible manifestation of the outpouring of the Spirit. And then one night he was at Moriah Chapel in Lohor, South Wales, and he had about 20 young people with him, and the Spirit of God came down, touched their lives. These young people began to go out to Wales, And uh, it's estimated that within nine months in that small country, 100,000 people were converted by the the prayers and preaching of, of Evan Roberts and his young team. Churches were filled. The mighty revival swept through Wales. When a judge would try people, the judge would stop and pray with the criminals, and the criminals would be converted on the spot, and he'd send them out to witness rather than sending them to jail. Many of the pubs or the alcoholic joints closed down on Saturday nights. And the reason they did is they weren't selling any alcohol. And there's an interesting record of one pub owner that writes, and it was published in the newspaper. He said, I have had to close my pub because I only sold like 87 cents worth of alcohol all night. Nobody's coming because everybody's going to the prayer meetings. There was a mighty revival. Now, there was a problem in the nation. And here's what the problem was. The pit ponies that pulled the coal car down in the pits had to be retrained because they no longer responded to the commands of the miners. The miners were converted. They weren't cursing at the horses anymore, so the horses wouldn't pull. And so the the revival even impacted the horses. Schools would stop three times a day for prayer meetings, largely the result of a young man who was seeking God in prayer. Now, the real tragic story of this revival was Satan got involved in it, and later it became emotionalism. But... um, It really illustrates what God can do through young people who are serious about praying for the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest things that could happen in GYC would be God would send you from this place with a real burden for prayer. He would send you from this place with the desire to seek God powerfully in prayer and that you would start youth prayer groups and adult prayer groups in your local church. Now, the second prerequisite for the outpouring of the latter rain is an undivided heart. See, if we're not praying for the Holy Spirit, it's not going to come. But as we pray for it, God fills us with the Spirit, leads us and empowers us by His Spirit, does something through our witness that wouldn't be possible. The second prerequisite for the Holy Spirit is an undivided heart. When God is a group of people whose main desire is to please Him, they don't want glory for themselves, They do not desire first place. He will then pour out his spirit in abundance. You remember what it says in John 8, verse 29. Let's read it together. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. The great desire of Christ was to do what pleased the Father. 
Now, here is the problem that solves all problems. There's one problem in the Christian life. If you get it solved, you'll solve every other problem. Here's here's what it is. It's the problem of the human will. Once you solve this problem, the Christian life becomes much less complicated. Remember what Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, verse 39. He says, if it is possible, let this cup, let the cross pass from me. But not as I will, but as what? You will. So here's the basic problem. Who has the will? Who has the will? See, if I've not surrendered my will to Christ, I will battle with every new truth God reveals to me. He reveals to me something that I've been watching in media that's not in harmony with his will, so I've got to fight him about it. He reveals to me something in the article of diet or an article of dress, or he reveals to me something in my deep inner attitude of pride, arrogance, or he reveals lust. If my will is not totally surrendered to him, I'm going to battle God on each thing. I'm going to say, God, well, that's not that bad. God, look, this is what that other person is doing. But if my will is totally surrendered to Christ, all I say is, God, all you need to do is show me what you want me to do and I'll do it. See, I've already made the fundamental decision to surrender my life to you. I've already made the fundamental decision to surrender my will to you. All I want to know is what you want me to do. Let me share a practical application of this. The names that I'm going to use are not real names. I've made them up purposely. And let's say they're John and Kate. John and Kate were a young married couple in their 20s. They were having marital difficulty, arguing a lot, largely over finances. John and Kate couldn't control their credit card. And so it seemed that when they wanted to go on vacation, they had a credit card. They used it. When they wanted to buy a new car, they had a credit card, and they used it. When Kate wanted to go shopping, she took the credit card and came back with a $530 bill, whatever it is. They built up about fifteen dollars to $20,000 in credit card bills. They couldn't pay their bills effectively. They didn't have the income coming in. They were arguing, fighting. Their marriage was going south. They attended a seminar on the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in their life, something dawned on them that the Holy Spirit was leading them to make a critical decision. And the decision was not to make any decision in their life unless they were any major decision, unless they were certain it was God's will. And so they covenanted in that Holy Spirit seminar on their knees as husband and wife holding hands, and they prayed a prayer something like this, Dear Jesus, we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit that all we want is your will. And we know it's not your will for us to go deeper in debt. So we make a commitment that unless your spirit impresses and prompts us, we're not going to use our credit card. We are going to get out of debt. We're not going to be using that credit card unless your spirit prompts us. Time went on and they were doing extremely well. They loved skiing. And one day, after ski season was over, they were in the mall. And they noticed a big sign that said, all ski equipment, 50% off. And they said, this must be God's will. Let's go in. Let's at least look. So they looked at skis. They had skis, but they said, man, these are much better than the ones they had. But then they said, we're going to need new ski boots, too. And these are much better than the ones we have. But what if we get new skis and new ski boots, and we have our old ski jackets? We need new ski jackets, too. We probably need new ski gloves. So they got everything. They were sized up for the skis. They were making their order. And uh, as they were going out, it was only going to be, you know, I don't know what it was, five, 6000 put on their credit card, you know. So they came out. John took out the credit card, handed it to the lady. And Kate looked at him, and he looked at her. And before they could go zip, zip, you know how it does, or before they could run the strike, Kate said, John, we haven't prayed about this. And John said, we haven't, Kate. They said to the lady, could you hold those goods for a moment? 
And they went out in the mall, found a quiet spot, and they said, Lord, not as we will, but as you will. God, we're not looking for our will, we're looking for your will. We want an undivided heart. All we want to do is please you. As they prayed, they felt the deep conviction that they should not move ahead with the sale. They went in and ripped up the order and told the lady, we're sorry. Maybe we're not sorry, but we can't go through with it. They said later that that's the first time in their life that they ever made a decision based on what God wanted rather than what they wanted. How can you know you're genuinely converted? Here's how you can know. When your will and God's will conflict, you make the decision to do God's will. If you only do God's will when you want to do God's will, you're not doing God's will, you're doing your will. But when the tough decisions come, and you know in your heart that this is what God wants you to do, and you go through that battle, you say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Incidentally, John and Kate said this. It was the best year of skiing that they ever had. They used their old equipment. They only went when they could afford it. They bought a year's ski ticket, which was cheaper for them. They saved the money, didn't put it on their credit card, and they said it was the, it was the greatest year. They said that decision changed their life. What is God waiting for? He's waiting for a group of people that seek him in prayer. He's waiting for a group of people that say, Lord, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. See, each test is an opportunity to discover what's in our hearts. Every time God brings us to a test, it, it's not the thing that we're being tested on, it's the heart that we are being tested on. So every test is an opportunity to discover what God's in our hearts. Spiritual power comes when you're connected to the source of unlimited power. Spiritual power comes. Can you read that with me? Spiritual power comes when you're connected to the source of unlimited power. What God wants to do through your life is really amazing. Testimony, Psalm 8, 19. There is no limit. How much, it's also in steps of Christ. How much limit is there? No limit to the usefulness of the one who put himself aside, makes room for the work of the Holy Spirit upon his heart, and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. There is no limit to the usefulness. I was in South America, in the country of Brazil. Any Brazilians here? Oh, I should have some Brazilians here. Okay. Uh, you know, Brazil is an amazing country. And I was in the country of Brazil, and the conference president said to me, I want to introduce you to the leading soul winner in our conference. This man is a simple, godly man with an undivided heart, totally committed to Christ. He's led 1,200 people to Christ. 1,200 people. And so I thought, of, I said, man, I can't wait to meet this man. He must be a large, strapping man, booming voice, must be a lay preacher. I can use it as an illustration. I met him, and he was a dwarf, a midget. And I had to get on my knees, you know, to, to talk to him eyeball to eyeball because I don't want him to strain his neck looking up at me. And so I said to him, I understand you're a great lay preacher. Pastor, never preached a sermon in my life. I said, well, there goes that illustration. Then he said, I said, you must give a lot of Bible studies. Pastor, I never gave a Bible study in my life. I said, what's your secret? You led 1,200 people to Christ. He said, you've got to do three things, Pastor. Three things. Are you, you want to know the three secrets? Yeah. Are you ready to do them right now? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. You don't know what they are yet. How can you be sure? All right. First, you have to smile at people. Get ready. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to group at GYC. You All right, smile. Then you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. You've got to do all three at once. You want to win 1,200 people? Let's do it now. Come on. You can do this. I know you can do it. Smile. Then come on. This and this. I said, what are you talking about? He said, every place I go, I try to develop friends. And I smile. And then I get acquainted with these people. And I say, how about coming to my house for a meal? Who can receive me? And then when they come to my house after the meal, I do this. That's putting, that's church, that's putting the pushing the power button in on the DVD player. 
and this is putting Pastor Finn on your DVDs. He said to me, he said, I smile, I make friends, I do this, and I do this, you do the preaching, and uh, we get small groups going, we win them for Christ. Did that man think when he started this that he would win 1,200? What does it say? There is no limit to the what? Usefulness. God is going to help you to know what to do. I'm not telling you to put in Pastor Billy's DVDs. God is going to help you to know what to do to win people to him. When we come to Christ and we say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. And we are serious about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Christ putting self aside, longing to only please him, there is no limit to the usefulness. I know a lady of a lady in India, in Chennai. She was blind. She is blind. And she had her grandson or one of her children read to her the Bible. She memorized all the texts, like on the second coming of Christ. She would have one of the church members lead her to a home. She would knock on the door with her Bible and say, I'm a blind old woman. Could you help me read the Bible? Who's going to turn that down? And then she said, I want to study about the second coming of Christ. I think there's something in Revelation 1-7. Could you read that to me? Every eye will see it. What did that say again? How many eyes will see it? Every eye will see it. And, uh, oh, read in Psalm 50, verse 3. Could you read that for me? I'm a blind old woman. I can't read it. Our God will come and not keep silence. Well, what if God will do? He won't keep silence. And what's going to happen when he comes? Find it over in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. Please, the Lord himself shall come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Does that mean, is there a rapture? Oh no, there's not. Every eye's going to see him. She has won soul after soul after soul as a blind woman getting other people to read the Bible to her. What, is the, what, what have we just read? There is no what? Limit to what? The usefulness of one who make, putting self aside makes room for the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, the third prerequisite for the reception of the Holy Spirit is saturating our minds with the Word of God. Who inspired the Bible? Holy the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, you are filled with the Spirit that inspired the Bible. Amen. See, any so-called revival that bypasses Bible study leads, leads us to a false emotional experience. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible, inspires us as we read the Bible. Notice Psalm 119, verse 25. Let's read it together. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. The soul clinging to the dust is a symbol of repentance. But we are revived according to, through God's word. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to what? Your word. Your word. Psalm 119.81, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Now the foundation of all true revival is the living word of God. Spirit-filled lives are guided by the word, instructed by the word, empowered by the word, sanctified by the word, transformed by the word. A great shaking will come to Adventism. And men and women whose minds and hearts are not anchored by the word of God will easily be shaken out. Now, there are those who wonder about how God is going to purify his church at end time. When you look at salvation history, God called Abraham out of the larger body and and he led Abraham to be faithful to him. God called Israel out of pagan apostasy and led them to be faithful. God called New Testament Christianity out of Judaism. And uh, God formed a new Israel, a new movement. God called, after there was an apostasy in the Middle Ages, God called Protestantism out of nominal superficial Catholicism and Christianity. And as Protestantism didn't go far enough, God called Adventists out of, to be a remnant people out of the Protestant Reformation. But here's the question. 
if time goes on, will the Adventist church apostatize and will God call out a remnant from the remnant? That's the question. The Bible does not teach that there will be a calling out. It teaches rather that there'll be a shaking out. Because if you have a calling out, when does that calling out ever cease? So here is the answer to every offshoot that ever was or ever will be. And I want to spend a little time studying with you in the last few moments of class, the shaking. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And you're looking there at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 and 30. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 and, uh, and onward. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, Hebrews 12, verse 25. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. And now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven. When did God speak when his voice shook the earth? Spoke from Mount Sinai. And what did God give his people on Mount Sinai? The law of God. Does God have an end time movement? Of whom it is written in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17, the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war with what? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Revelation 12, verse 17 says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So God will have an end time law-keeping people. Notice what it says, verse 27. Now, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. What happens to those that are being shaken? They are what? Removed. That's why they're not the remnant, because they are removed. As those things that are made, that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What happens to the things that cannot be shaken? They remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So the Bible talks about the shaking and the sifting. Shaking and the sifting. And let me illustrate it with a simple illustration. Let's suppose I have a big jar, okay? And that big jar has in it walnuts and beans. A walnut like this and beans. And in the jar on the top, there are holes. And the holes are big enough to let the beans through, but too small to let the walnuts through. Do you picture this in your mind? So you have this big jar, and inside the jar are what, everybody? Walnuts and beans. And the top of the jar has what? The holes big enough to let the beans through, but not the walnuts. So let's suppose that I am shaking the jar. If I shake that jar upright long enough, the walnuts are going to go to the bottom and the beans are going to go to the top, right? So I have separated through the shaking the walnuts and the beans. But if I turn over the jar and I do some sifting like this, you ever sift sand? Yeah, what's going to come out? The beans are going to come out. So picture the jar as the church. There'll be a great shaking time now. And uh, right now within the church, there'll be people that are taking a stand within the church. There'll be certain things that shake it. But then in the great test that comes, the beans are going to go out, right? So why are we not interested in an offshoot? The reason we're not interested in offshoot is because they shoot off. They do not do what? Remain. So the remnant remains faithful. Now, let me share with you a few powerful references to put this in perspective from the writings of Ellen White on the whole idea of the shaking. And then we're going to look at the classes that are going to be shaken out. Uh, second Selected Messages, page 380. Second Selected Messages, page 380. Incidentally, before I read that, let me read to you Isaiah 41, verse 16. It says, you shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away. 
so that's uh, Isaiah 41:16. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away. In other words, the those that are shaken, like the chaff, are carried away. The wheat remain. Uh, another good one is Matthew 3, verse 12. His shovel is ready in the hand, and he'll winnow his threshing. The wheat he'll gather into his granary. So it's like a great picture. We have to throw the chaff up, the wind blows it away, the wheat stays. It's heavier than the chaff. Now, Ellen White, Second Selected Messages, page 380. The church may appear as about to fall. What does this say? The church may do what? Appear as about to fall. But listen, but it does not fall. It remains. And what do we call those that remain? The remnants. While the sinners in Zion will be what? Sifted out. The chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless it must take place. So the remnant remains. There is no remnant coming out of a remnant, according to the Bible or the writings of Ellen White. What are some of the things that shake the church? There are, down through the centuries, we, and I can look at all of these from the Bible with you, but I'm just going to mention them to you. Ellen White talks about four basic classes that will be shaken out. First, those who love the world. Uh, you find this in the fifth line of the Decimonies, page 8. Those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to diversion, insult, threatened imprisonment, and death. In this time, the gold will be separated from the dross in the church. Now notice it's an interesting statement, isn't it? Those who have done what? Step by step yielded to worldly demands. So do they yield to worldly demands all at once? There's a little compromise here, a little compromise there, and uh, pretty soon they're watching this TV program absorbed with this on the internet. This article of diet consumes them. They cherish criticism in their heart cherish pride, arrogance, lust, and so it happens step by step. The path of the slippery slope downward is a gradual path that takes place step by step. And without them realizing it, they are praying less, they are studying the word of God less, they are less committed to witness, and here is eventually when the test comes, the majority forsake us. Why? Because step by step, they've been yielding to worldly demands. Now, there's another group that are shaken out. The first group that are shaken out of the worldly. But did you know that the, Ellen White says the conservative will be shaken out? The conservative will be shaken out. Now, that's a very interesting statement. And what is conservatism? The liberals are going to be shaken out because they're too worldly. The conservatives are going to be shaken out. Why? Well, here it is, volume 5, page 463, the superficial conservative class whose influence has steadily retarded the progress of the work will renounce their faith and take their stand with its avowed enemies. So here, this group of conservatives are very superficial. They are conservative in their understanding of doctrine, but their hearts are not broken with the living Christ. Their lives are not transformed by the grace of God. The fruits of the Spirit are not manifest in their life. So they have a superficial conservative experience, but they eventually are shaken out. Only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures who receive the love of Christ. So who's going out? The worldly. Who's going out? The superficial. Who's going out? One more. The Bible, no, two more. The Bible says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Notice what Ellen White says. Those, this is Testimonies, volume 6, page 400. Those who have had great light and precious privileges, but have not improved them, will under one pretext or another go out from among us. Those who have great light, the one who thinks they're going to stand. You know who Satan has open door to? The person that says, I am never going to leave. You know, what did Peter say? He said, I'll never do what? 
I'll never deny you. Do you know how they sort oranges in Florida? Imagine you were an orange. Now, you probably have never imagined that before. Imagine you're an orange. I'm going to take you to the Disneyland of oranges. You ready to go? You're an orange. Okay. You're out there hanging in the Florida sun, getting an orange tan, becoming sweeter. You're becoming more orange all the time. You were green at first and didn't look very healthy, but now you're orange. You weren't very sweet at first, but now you're sweet and you're hanging on the orange tree. And as you're hanging there, the pickers come and pick you and they put you in large trucks. If you've ever traveled to Florida, you see these big trucks going down the street with these oranges. The oranges are brought to a warehouse. It's an air-conditioned warehouse. So you're an orange and you're brought there. And you say, this is great. I'm brought to this warehouse. The oranges are put on a conveyor belt. And the oranges are all bouncing along on the conveyor belt, going together. You say, this is fantastic. This is the Disneyland for oranges. Air-conditioned warehouse on this conveyor belt. This is a beautiful ride. Now, when the oranges round a corner, they come to a small set of holes. The set of holes is bigger enough for the grade C oranges to go through, but not big enough for the B or the A's to go through. So you go around the corner and all these oranges go through, boom, 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 all the C's go through, the smaller ones. And they sort them to make orange juice. The B's say, those little guys went through, too bad for them. Around the corner you come and there's holes big enough to let them up. B's go through and they go through, boom, 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 and all the A's say, too bad for those guys, we're going through to the end. But what do you know? Right around the corner. There's a hole for the A's going through, and they're going to be orange juice too, right? Take heed. For he who thinks he stands is going to be what? There is no way that any of us can get through the crisis ahead without you. Our salvation is always in Christ. He is always our justifier. He is always our sanctifier. He is always the one who sustains and strengthens us. In Christ, the weakest saint can get through the time of trouble. Without Christ, the strongest believer will never make it through. So who gets shaken out? Three classes so far. The worldly, the superficial, the conservative, the self-confident, and fourthly, the compromising. The compromising. Ellen White says, early writings, page 50, a mighty shaking has commenced and will go on, It'll shake worse and worse, and all will be shaken who are not willing to take a bold, unyielding stand for the truth and to sacrifice for God and his cause. So, notice volume 5, 136, to stand in defense and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. To stand in defense and righteousness when who forsakes us? The majority. Have you placed in your heart today that your only desire is to do God's will? Deep within your life, in your personal life, do you know Christ? Is he living within your heart? Do you saturate your mind with the word of God? There is not one reason for any young person or any adult to be lost. There's not one reason for us to be shaken out rather than remain. Christ is the author of our faith and he is the finisher. Being confident of this thing that he who began a good work in me will finish. If I allow Jesus he will finish the work he started in me to the glory of his name. I want to let him finish it, don't you? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we need not fear when our life is anchored in Christ. Thank you that you promised that you are the one who is the author of our, work, of our faith and you're the finisher. Thank you for the glory of your name and the righteousness of Christ that you will finish what you started in us. We open our hearts to you just now. May your love and grace change our lives. In Christ's name.
This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.